Good morning, everybody. Hope you're well. It's so good to see you. I tell you, when the heart is sleepy and the body is tired, singing is a great thing. I'm just so thankful to not only sing, but to also sing with you. Uh, that is good for the soul. Uh, so we are uh, diving in today to a new series. It'll last for three weeks. And the focus of this series is praying our hearts, taking the emotions that we feel and taking them to the Lord. And so what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 3, which is where we are this morning, and then I'll pray and then we'll kind of dive right in it. But for the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be uh, dealing with this subject and taking a psalm each time to try to guide us through uh, these things of prayer and our hearts. So, Psalm 3, and I'll read it. Um, It begins with something called a superscription, which is small print right above the number 1. So, that's where we will begin. It says, A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom his son. Verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul... There is no salvation for him in God. And then it says, Selah, which means reflect on this. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike away, you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And I pray that, O God, we would hide Your Word in our heart that we might not sin against You. And that, God, You would make the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart pleasing in Your sight. For You truly are our rock, the one that we should build our life upon. And You are the Redeemer that our hearts are crying out for. Whether we know it or not, we're longing for a Savior to rescue us and give us joy. And so help us to anchor our lives in You. So I thank You, O God, that You are worthy and beautiful and radiant and glorious and all-satisfying and all-powerful and all-present. You are good in all You do. You are loving and glorious. And so please, O God, show Yourself powerful in this time. Change us. Unite us. And send us out in love. We pray this in Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen. So, I was in Chicago earlier this year. And when I was in Chicago, I was there for a church planting assessment. I was uh, assessing multiple church planters to see, with a bunch of other guys, to see um, if they were kind of ready to plant. And one of them was our, our dear own Craig Priestley and his wife Elizabeth, who both uh, joyfully and sadly are going to be leaving to go to Chicago at the turn of the year. But uh, while we were there, before the 
assessments began early in the morning, I went out uh, to Lake Michigan and I ran. And there was this beautiful picture of the downtown skyline here. Not a picture, it was a skyline. And there was a path that ran just along the water. And I wanted to listen to something early in the morning. It was about 60 some odd degrees. It was perfect. It was beautiful. Not a cloud in the sky. And so I pulled up one of the many different podcasts that I listened to. And one was Tim Keller's. And I pulled up his podcast and I listened. And there was a sermon entitled Praying Our Fears. Title intrigued me. So I took it and I listened to it. And I tell you, it was just not only the setting, but the words were, it was a come to Jesus meeting. It was a, it was the Lord is gripping my heart with the fears that dwell within me, but also his safety and beauty and love inviting me in to talk to him. And the more I listened to it, I listened to it many, many times after that. That was just struck with the sense that we at TCC, we need to hear these things. We need to think on these things. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to do that. We're going to deal with what it looks like to pray our hearts. And this week we'll be praying our fears from Psalm 3. Next week we'll be praying our tears from Psalm 39. Then the following week, uh, Craig Priestley will be preaching and he'll be praying our guilt from Psalm 25. And so that's where we're headed for the next three weeks. And I'm really looking forward to it. But I want to at the front end just say I've been helped so much by Keller. I was also helped by a man named Ed Welch in his book, Running Scared. So very little is original to me. It's just what God has done through His Word and through these, uh, through these different encounters and readings. So, um, without further ado, I want to I dive in here. Now, the way I want to begin this sermon on praying our fears is to um, make you fearful. Just kidding. I can't do that. There's this sense that though all of us are fearful and we don't even know it. We might label it something else, but we all have fears. Some of us that I say we need to pray our fears, you'd be like, I don't really have that problem. It's not something I deal with. And others are like, good night, I can barely move without being afraid and anxious. And so we have all of us kind of coming in here at once. And, and the Lord is so good, He's going to meet us at different spots. But the reason I want to actually put fire on the gas of our fears and to make them bigger is because... When you understand the depth and weight of the problem, when you see God's comfort and peace and presence and love, all of a sudden it means so much more when you realize how much you're hurting. So we want to understand that there is fear that grips us and there is a great God who promises to be with us. So let's start this way. How many of you are afraid? And I don't want hands, just, just in your own head. You fear for safety. You fear for security. Genuinely, deep down, you're afraid of death. And if you're not afraid of death, you're probably afraid of how you're going to die. Some of you are afraid of loss. I might lose things. I might lose relationships. I might lose my hair. There's a lot of things to lose. These are just some of the foundational, I see a lot of you rubbing your heads, foundational fears, but there's also all these phobias that are out there, right? I was reading this book, Running Scared, by Ed Welch, and he gave this list of phobias. 
And I'm just going to go through some of them. The fear of heights. The fear of needles. The fear of snakes. The fear of germs. The fear of the dark. The fear of the dentist. A lot of fears out there. And they're creating new ones all the time. In the book, Running Scared, he mentions that there's a new one out there called Arachibutyrophobia. Arachibutyrophobia. And it is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Now, if you think on that long enough, you might become afraid. Just think, it just sticks there and then doesn't go anywhere and your mouth gets, you know, like your mouth is getting dry right now as you think on this, okay? We all have fears. Some of them we laugh at, others are the fears they paralyze us. But there's not a single person that doesn't battle in some varying degree and varying seasons with fear. And so what we want to do is we want to dive in to Psalm 3 and see how David addresses his fears... And ultimately see what God has to speak to our fears today. So let's dive into verses 1 and 2. Now before we do it, we want to look at that little superscription because it tells us a lot. Superscriptions kind of allow Psalms to be grouped into into categories. um, But also they allow us to understand maybe some background that might be fueling into the Psalm itself. And in this case... It is doing both, but what we're going to highlight right now is we're going to highlight kind of the background. It's pointing us back in the Old Testament to Second Samuel when it speaks of David's son Absalom. David was king of Israel, and this says that this is a psalm of David, and right now he is singing this, and what's, many times when you sing a song directly to God, that's a prayer. And so what this is, is it's a, a song, it's a prayer to God, and it's in the context of his son, Absalom, betraying him, gathering a coup, overtaking him, so much so that in the the dead of night, David has to run and escape and hide because his son has gathered some of his most loyal subjects to come after him to try to kill him. This is the context in which we find David praying these things. Verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. It says in 2 Samuel 15.12, it says, The conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. He was a good recruiter. He was a good liar. He talked bad about David, got all kinds of people around him, And the numbers kept increasing. David was not winning this battle. More and more people were wanting his head. And so what does he do? What does he do? Well, he prays to God. But you've got to understand, he's not just afraid about these enemies coming at him. He's also, there's this sense of fear over what these people are saying about him. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. People are saying he's beyond God's grace. If you were were a blessing, if you were under God's care, you'd be king. You wouldn't be running for your life. They're attacking his spirituality. David knows deep down. He's not got the cleanest record in the lot. So you can imagine this doubt that plagues him. This self-talk. And the fear that just comes over him. 
Sometimes we see his fear in other psalms as well. And Psalm 56 kind of lets us hear how he talks and how he expresses these fears again. Psalm 56 says this, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. You just see, it's like the arrogant are winning. The ones who lie, they're getting ahead. And David's afraid for his life. But what does he do? Same thing he does in Psalm 56. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? He takes his fears and he rolls them over to the Lord. David is not just terrified, though, about his body. He's lost everything. He's lost everything. He was a powerful king. He was a good daddy. He had all kinds of possessions. He had a decent moral record. And now everything has been taken away from him. He finds himself hiding from the very people that were following him. People used to sing about David, about how great he was. Thousands of people. We're for David. And now he's alone with just a few followers. You can imagine the fear. It's a fear at an identity level. It's a fear at a body level. It's a fear at an emotional and spiritual level. Now, before we dive into a little bit deeper how David addresses his fears, we, ha- we see that he's terrified. But ultimately, in the Scriptures, there's, there's just fear. They don't kind of divide it out as fear and anxiety. Those are... Those are the same ideas. They're synonyms in the Scriptures. But there is an understanding experientially that fear has levels. Some are good and some are bad. Prime example, Proverbs chapter 1, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it is awe, respect, fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. It's what motivates honor and it motivates worship and awe. It's good that you know that He's bigger than you are. That's what's appropriate for followers of Jesus. That's an appropriate fear. There's another fear that's a good fear. It's a gift from God. It's a fear that God gives us to kind of protect ourselves. It's a fear of touching the stove eye. It's a fear when you're standing out in the middle of a road and a car's coming and you jump back. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. You don't want to be casual towards the 60 mile an hour car coming at you. These are good fears. And what happens when the kid runs into the parking lot and you know cars are all over the place and you sprint out to get the kid and you drag. What happens is your autonomic nervous system begins to start pumping. And it has two branches, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And the sympathetic is the excite, the fight or flight kind of thing in your body. Your adrenaline pumps and all of a sudden you become super people. And you all of a sudden can run faster, you think clear, everything begins to kind of slow down. And you might pull something later, but you realize that, you know, you've rescued someone from that parking lot. It happens like when I'm playing ball with my kids and nobody is paying attention. My kids are just laughing and all of a sudden a ball is coming like this and I see it. It's like the world slows down and I'm like, 
and you know, boom, and I stop it from hitting his face, you know, I'm the hero, no, and, uh, and so, or it happens when, like, there's a bowl on the table, and somebody walks by and knocks it off, and it starts to fall, and all of a sudden, you got, like, spidey sense, you know, it's like, boom, caught it, you know, that is where the adrenaline begins to pump, it's good, it's fear that tries to snag something and protect something from breaking, But there's a problem. If your autonomic nervous system is constantly going, it creates things like ulcers and high blood pressure. It's meant to kick in and then stop. Not meant to just keep going. And what happens when you begin to dwell on a fear and it sits there and you mull it over in your head? You play those scenarios over and over about your future. You constantly replay that conversation where you wish it would have gone better. And all of a sudden you're meditating, you're worrying, you're filled with anxiety. The fear is not quick to leave. When the bowl is knocked off, you're focused, it's specific, it's like save the bowl. But when anxiety happens, it becomes more diffuse, more general. Things get fuzzy. I'm afraid for my life. I'm just afraid that my job is going to go horrible. You know, it just begins to get really broad, really sweeping, really general. And it weighs you down. Tim Keller described the difference between a thunderstorm and a drizzle. He said the thunderstorm, it comes through. And when it comes through, it's like this massive downpour. And, you know, it dumps buckets of water and it feeds the ground. But then it just kind of moves on. The sun comes out and you're golden. But the drizzle, the slow drizzle that never seems to go away. This is the anxiety of the heart. The Proverbs talk about it in Proverbs 12.25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. You see the contrast? Anxiety weighs you down, takes away your joy. A good word makes someone glad. And so for David, his fear didn't go away. It persisted. It was a persistent fear. His body was not just under attack. His significance, his value, his identity was under attack. It's like the person who works for 40 some odd years and then all of a sudden they retire. And they've been looking forward to retirement forever. But then all of a sudden they get to retirement and now they're no longer known as the teacher, the doctor, the lawyer. And their identity is being pressed upon. And if their identity was in what they did, that sense of retirement can turn from freedom to crisis, to worry, to anxiety and fear. David's identity was under attack. He was king and no more was he king. He went from ruling to being ruled. He went from being loved to being hunted. He went from being a successful father to a failure as a father. Everything was unraveling around him. And so, he was now afraid. He was afraid. And your fear speaks. I don't know if you know this. Your, your fear is saying something about you and your situations. It speaks, whether you know it or not. And it is acknowledging that you have a chink in your armor. In that sense, it's healthy. 
I can't do it all. I can't make everybody like me. I'm not the best king. I'm not the best worker. I'm not always in control. What if I can't determine the outcome of my life and my kids' lives? What if I can't keep from getting hurt? I'm terrified. And so what do we do? What do we do? The psalm lays out what I'm going to put forward. is just four, four things that we can do with our fears. And they are this. They are these four things. The first one's a little cheesy, but hopefully it's memorable. Okay? Stop, drop, and go. I'll explain it later. Two. Transfer your glory. Three, rest in Jesus. Four, consider others. Stop, drop, and go. Transfer your glory. Rest in Jesus and consider others. So let's see, what does David do with his paralyzing fear? We have a few options, don't we? The world tells us there are really only two options. You stuff it. You cram your fear deep down and you say they're not that big of a deal. And you don't address them. You act like you don't have any problems. And this is epidemic in the church. Church is meant to be a hospital for sinners. Instead, we, come to, we make it this place where you have to have everything together. You can't be broken or messy. Well, I'm broken, I'm messy, and that shows that I really need Jesus. We want Him to look bigger than we do. But how many of us feel this paralyzing sense of, we've got to stuff it, we can't show anything's wrong, there's no chinks in the armor, garbage! It leads to fear when you try to do that. It does not help. You can only do it so long. And then what happens is usually the other option. People say, don't stuff it, vent it. Vent it. Get rid of it. And usually when you get rid of fear, it either is massive seasons of complaining or it is you don't know what to do with your fear. You can't control your fear, so you get angry. And so you're short-tempered, you're explosive, you just and there's shrapnel all around you, relational shrapnel. But God shows us there's another way. There's a gospel way. There's, there's a way because Jesus Christ has died for the sinner. He stood in the place of the broken and the messy. The ones who should be condemned in their sin. He stood in their place. He died the death that they deserved. He took on the wrath that should have been theirs. And He rose from the dead so that we can go directly to God. Not through a priest or anything. We go directly to God through Jesus Christ. Because He died in our place. And what does David do? A third thing. He doesn't stuff it. He doesn't vent it. He prays it. He takes his heart and emotions and all of its rawness and he says, I'm terrified here. I'm a wreck here. Do you feel the freedom to talk to God like that? To pray your heart. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have these refined, composed prayers. Go to the Lord with your heart. Paul says this is the remedy for the anxious heart in Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7, he says, Don't be anxious. Well, then what in the world do you do with your anxiety? Because I'm anxious. What do you do with it? Well, in everything with prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, 
You present your requests to God. You take those things you worry about and you take them to God. And why would you do that? What the verse promises you. And the peace of God. The peace of Jesus Christ which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You need peace. And He promises it can be yours when you go to God in prayer. When you go to Him in prayer. So you pray your fears. You, you pray your fears. And why will you do that? Because when you verbalize your fears to God, it takes what is general and it makes it specific. I can't tell you how many people I've met with in counseling, and this is always good for me, when they come and they say, it's really nothing you said. It's just the fact that I got to get it off my chest. You know, you would want in your flesh to say, man, those words were amazing. You know, no, that's not it. It's, I just wanted to get, I needed it. I've been holding it in for so long. David says, when you hold it in, it's like your bones are wasting away. The ability to articulate your fears, and I encourage you, whether it's driving in the car, whether it's in a closet at home, pray your prayers out loud to God sometimes because if your mind's like mine, you can get so scattered in the midst of a prayer. You can fall asleep in the midst of a prayer. You can think about fantasy football stat. You, can, you know, your mind can go everywhere, okay? When you pray out loud, it focuses. It takes what is general and makes it specific. But friends, it's more than just that. It's more than, than just you can actually... Get it off your chest. It's that you get it off your chest to God. God is the point. He is the one that has the answer to our fears. He's the one that's greater than our struggles and our problems. He is the one that cares and has proven it by giving His Son Jesus. You go to Him because He cares. You go to Him because He's powerful. You go to Him because He is enough. And so... As I've quoted before, Ed Welch says, when those anxious thoughts come, those in and of themselves, the fact that, oh no, I'm worried right now, that it coming and hitting the heart is not sin. It's what you do with it that would be sin. And he says it's like a string around the finger that reminds you God cares. God loves you. God knows. He's powerful. When that fear comes, it's to remind you to go to God. That's what fears are to do. And let's admit something. There are some times that you are so overwhelmed that words can't come out, but yet your heart and disposition is, God, I need you, and yet you can't even say it. God hears those as well. God hears those as well. It's not just about the words. It's taking your heart to God. And so Brad Hambrick says this. He's a pastor here in the city. And he says this, that we must acknowledge our fear, which is what David is doing in praying him, right? I'm afraid. And we know it's called fear because of verse 6. He says, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. So how does he go from fear to no fear? Well, the first thing is to acknowledge these fears. And David, or Brad Hambrick says, you acknowledge the fear by saying, I have a struggle that I cannot overcome without God's help. Are you there? How many are trying to handle it on their own? Friends, I will say this. If you've never said this about anything in your life, 
then you are probably not a Christian. Because at the core of being a follower of Jesus is the concept of surrender. It is acknowledging that you can't do it and Jesus alone can. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is this sense of, I have a struggle. I have a problem. It's called my heart that I cannot fix on my own. I need Jesus to rescue me. And so, we stop. We drop, so to speak, in prayer. And then we go. Where do I get this go thing? What's in verse 3? He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Do you see this? I'm terrified. My identity is in crisis. People are against me. I'm hiding. Everything's unraveling. But, contrast, you are better. You are my protection. In you I can find rest. What is this concept of a shield? He doesn't say you're a shield in front of me or you're a shield beside me. He says you're a shield around me. I've seen those movies where the shield is like curved in a U-shape, you know, and they're all buckled down behind it and just taking steps like this. But what is a shield for? It's not to hang on the wall as a trophy. A shield is for battle. What is he saying? He is not saying, I have stopped being afraid because you took away my enemies, you restored my power, and now everything is rosy, so I'm okay. It's just the opposite. I'm going to go with you into battle. I'm going to follow my general. I'm going to walk with my master into battle, and he is the shield about me. He is the shield around me. Spiritually speaking, in Him I can find rest. It is a walking into danger. Not running from it. Because that's what God has called Him to, is to be faithful. And friends, sometimes our obedience to God will take us in places that we would maybe rather not go. Obedience to God is not easy. But Tim Keller says this. Even if obedience is hurting us, Tim says this to us. He says, God's protection only works when I'm going forward. If God lets you hurt today, He is trying to save you from a greater hurt tomorrow. If God lets you hurt today, He is saving you from a greater hurt tomorrow. Obedience is costly. I remember when I was in college. I wanted to be known and I wanted money. I was a Christian and that was the motivation for how I chose what career I wanted to do. So I was in pre-med. Now I'm so thankful that people are doctors. And I'm actually thankful that people make money. That's a good thing. Money and being a doctor is not a problem. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. And I'm thankful for that. But when you're running from God to do those things, that's a bad idea. And that's what I was doing. I'm going to be pre-med. Changed my major six times. I was the poster child in my freshman year for what not to do. 
I was the, that was the epitome of confusion. And then I remember kneeling at my bed my sophomore year and God overcoming my heart and gripping me with what's specific to me. This doesn't mean this is what He's calling you to, but it was beyond a shadow of a doubt that He wanted me to follow Him as a pastor. And I tell you, <laughs> I know the rap that pastors get, right? They're money hungry, they're greedy, and they don't do anything, right? What do you do as a pastor? You might be asking that very question. You know, what do you do? You know, you just sit in your room and read things and plan stuff or what? I don't know what you do. So there's all this cultural stigma with it, but it goes even deeper than that. In my family, my granddaddy was a pastor who ended up committing adultery on my nana. And so in my family, pastor only equaled hurt and a misrepresentation of God. And this is what God was calling me into. Leave this, money, prestige, become this, which nobody in your family might like, and the culture will think you're weird. Go for it. But I tell you, there's no better place than to be walking where God has you walking. To be going forward with God and not running from Him. Because if you run from Him with that shield, your back is exposed. The protection isn't there. And I tell you, when it came clear to me, <laughs> four years into this church, a guy mowing his yard set his lawnmower while it was running on his foot. And it chopped his big toe. They were able to save it. When I heard about it, I immediately went to the hospital. But I was about four or five hours after the situation had happened. But I was assuming because it had been so long that they would have done the fixing. <laughs> so, yeah, just go back. into. He's in the emergency room. Just go back there and you can sit with him. So I go in, they have these curtains pulled, I pull back the curtain, and I don't see this friend's face, I see his toe, with the surgeon going like this, jam, wink, jam, wink, you know, and blood everywhere. And so, some of you have been gifted where that doesn't bother you. <laughs> I walked in and immediately was acting a little loopy, <laughs> couldn't stand very still, kind of got a little, walking a little drunk. And I go in, I'm the one who's supposed to be the comforter. Remember this, that's my role, right? So I come in, I'm walking in, staggering like I've been drinking for weeks. And I sit down in this chair saying, how are you doing? Just trying to look, you know, your mind, your mouth is saying one thing, but your mind is thinking, toe, toe, toe. And he's over here and I'm like, hey buddy, how you doing? His wife's here. I'm so sorry this has happened. How's your heart doing? You know, I'm just trying... And I barely remember this conversation. And I finally say, okay, let me pray for you. And so we stop and pray. The surgeon was in a spot where we could do that. And so I sit there. And I had to pray because if I didn't put my head between my legs soon, I was out. So I'm praying with my face almost to the ground. And I'm sitting there praying. And I barely remember the prayer at all. I know Jesus was mentioned. And for that, I'm thankful. But I barely remember the prayer. And then I said, Oh, can you excuse me just a second? And I stammer out of the room to try to, you know, shake it out and drink some Coke and try to get my blood sugar back up. So it was at that moment when I realized, oh, God, thank you 
that I was not the surgeon. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, sometimes it takes some years to figure out the whys for this. But I think everybody's better because that wasn't my job. So, it's just a small example that although obedience in the moment is painful, going forward is where you have God's protection, where He is a shield, where fears begin to be dispelled and not grip you. But when you walk against His ways, whatever it is, you better rest assured that fear will come. Fear will come. Tim Keller said this in his sermon. It struck me so hard. He said, Obedience is hard because it takes you places you don't want to go, but disobedience is lethal. And those are your only two options, friends. You can disobey and choose your own way, or you can look at Him and trust Him that you will stop in the midst of your fears, you will take those fears to Him, and you will go in the strength that He supplies. So, what did David do? He prayed. Oh God, you are my shield and I want to walk forward with you. He also said, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. This is the second idea that needs to be communicated in this psalm is that transfer your glory. Transfer your glory. David is saying, but you are my glory, which means it's a contrast to what it was before. Something else was my glory. My position was my glory. My fatherhood was my glory. My moral record was my glory. My emotional stability, my riches were my glory. All the many women around me were my glory. All these things were my glory. But that didn't pan out, did it? That didn't give me the security I looked for, did it? Look where I am right now. And oh God, I want to declare that you are my shield You are my glory. I must stop propping my life up against all these things that will ultimately fall down. And I want to prop my life up on you. I want you to be the center, the weight. Glory actually means weight. It's the weight of your life. What holds you down, anchors you, is God Himself. And David, he had failed at fatherhood. His son was after him. He didn't have a good moral record. He had committed adultery. He slept with another man's wife and then killed the man so that he could have her for himself. He had no moral record to stand on. His son was against him. He was not a king anymore. All the people that once followed him were against him. His identity was in shambles. And now he says, God, you are my glory. Sometimes God has to bring us low in order that we might look high. He is our glory. And what is he saying when he says, you are my glory? He's saying, their acceptance is not ultimately going to do it for me. It's the fact that you accept me. You are my glory. It's not their love. It's your love that I need. It's not status from a job. It's the identity that I have that you have accepted me and that I am yours. It's not being married that's going to solve all my problems. It's the fact that you have married me. You have brought me in. You have promised to take care of me. It's not the physical comfort of sex or money or power that is ultimately going to satisfy. It's the comfort that comes from your Holy Spirit. That I am yours and I'm walking with you. David is saying, all these other things, they are good, sure. They're good. And God gives them to us to enjoy, no doubt. 
But when they become primary and our lives are propped up against them, fear will abound. As I've said before, fear, anxiety, deceit, and anger. They're like flags that wave that say something funky is going on in the heart. It is a bad stench that if you follow the odor, it will lead to what is soured. It's what's in the heart. And he says, God, you are my glory. And David had every right to be walking around dejected and with his head down low in shame. And what does he say? But God, because you accept me, you are the lifter of my head. It's not just you willing it and saying, hey, lift your head up, head up, head up. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's when you, you know, you suck it up, you obey, you go forward, keep that head up. That's a good thing. But ultimately, it won't last unless God is the lifter of your head. God is the lifter of your head. He takes one who is down in shame and He gives confidence because you are accepted in Him. So the text says, Oh God, You are my glory and the lifter of my head. So not only do we transfer our glory, but we also must rest in the sacrifice. We must rest in Jesus. And I get this from verse 4. David cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. God answered David from the holy hill. What was the holy hill? It's where the tabernacle sat. It's where all the sacrifices were done for the sins of the people. And God answered him from that position and said, You are forgiven. You are mine. You are accepted. I'm lifting your head. Now that should strike you as hard. Why? Why would God do that? He's already made a mockery of him. He was a bad king, a bad dad. He took away somebody else's wife. He's a murderer. Many people want to say, my goodness is why God would accept me. No way, no how. We're never going to be good enough. So why would David be accepted? Why would God answer him from the holy hill? Why would the sacrifice pay for his sins? Because David knew. He knew his Bible and he knew his God. And his Bible pointed him to the day when a Savior would come who would be the once for all forever sacrifice. And that Savior would be the one to wipe away every sin and every tear. And that sacrifice was what ultimately David was being accepted because of. Because Jesus paid for sins. And He said, I am with you. And so we rest in that sacrifice. When fear comes, here's how it rolls. Fear comes over you. You've got to acknowledge that you're afraid and that you can't overcome it on your own. You stop. You drop. You cry out to God and say, Oh God, please. Here are my, here's my mess. Here's my junk. And then you say, Oh God, I want to transfer all these things that we're, I'm propping my life up on. I want to transfer my heart to You. You accept me. You love me. I prize You and You alone. And the only reason I know that is because... I'm resting in the sacrifice. Because Jesus Christ has died the death that I deserve. He paid the price. Our life hangs on Jesus. And that's what it looks like to pray your fears. To take them to the Lord. Everything is dependent upon Jesus dying and raising from the dead. 
And that's what you bank on. That's what you bank on. And then the text goes on to say in verse uh, 5 that when he got that answer from God, he laid down and slept. What a picture of peace. What a picture of God ministering to his fears. A sense of, I am with you. You can rest in me. And then when he woke up, it's almost like I'm pinching myself. Did the enemies take me? Am I dead? I woke up again. The Lord had sustained me. He had taken care of me. There's a sense of rest as we take our struggles to the Lord. And so now, verse 6, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me, not because they have been removed, but because He knows His God. He has taken it to His God. And now the last thing that we uh, see in this passage is that He considers others. You want to heal in the midst of your fear? You stop focusing so inwardly all the time and you think about how you can love. Because isn't that what First John 4 says? Perfect love casts out fear. As you love, you are in the process of being healed yourself and casting out fear and anxiety. And look at it in verse 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Now you might be like, that doesn't sound very loving right there. What's going on? He's just calling God to be who He said He is. To be justice against the wicked and to be an encourager, a blessing, a help to those who are following Him. He's not necessarily wishing bad on people. He's wanting God to do what is right and to be just. And He's firmly wanting that justice to be exercised. Sure, let them turn. But if they don't, justice must come. That will prove that you are God. But then he says at the end, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing, your blessing be on all your people. I want good to come to others. I want good to come to others. And so I tell you, one of the greatest healing things that can happen in the heart is when you consider others better than yourself. When you're battling fear, fight to think on how you can serve someone else. And in so doing, you will find healing. Friends, you know there was one who considered others better than himself. There was one who had experienced the attack of enemies. There was one who had experienced betrayal and mocking. There was one who experienced massive fear when he knelt down in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do with that fear? He didn't dwell in it. He took it to the Lord in prayer. And he prayed out to his father and he said, Oh, Father, if you would remove this cup of suffering from me, please do it. And he says, Yet not my will, but yours be done. He stopped. He dropped. He went. And his father said, You must go to the cross. And he went in obedience. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that very Savior who was mocked and who died, and it looked like the lights had been shut out, three days later, rose from the dead. He overcame the grave. And although He had experienced the abandonment of His Father and the betrayal of all those around Him, He was raised from the dead, new. In this sense that sin had been crushed. 
There is one that's done this before that we can look to and place our hope and faith in. His name is Jesus Christ. Trust Him today with your life. Surrender your all to Him. And He will be found worthy for you to pray your fears to. Take all of your heart to our God. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for loving us. Thank You so much for being near to us. And I just ask that You will now, You will now come over us with a sense of Your love. We can't deny Your love because You sent Your Son. We can't deny Your power. You're the Creator of all things. You you raised Jesus from the dead. God, I just ask that right now You would comfort those who are struggling. You would draw near to the lonely. You would encourage the brokenhearted. You would show Your power off to those who are fearful and anxious. And God, You would give us all the courage and the strength to roll our fears off of our shoulders onto You as we've seen David do today. God, we ask that we would draw closer to our Savior today and that we would be changed on the spot in this moment right now. So work in us, I ask. I pray all this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.